believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of western Iowa, comes the voice of the church, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. Proverbs tells us a man who isolates himself is unwise. Concerning the interpretation of Scripture, Peter warns us, no Scripture is of any private interpretation. The Genesis story tells us that the entire universe came from a three. And all through every book of the Bible, if there is any characteristic of Satan, it is that he emphasizes one, the individual above the group. The three said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And the one said, I will rise to the heights and I will be like God. And the battle between your demonic, selfish sin nature, whether or not you will live and think and act as if you are the son of Satan, or whether or not you will think and act and live as if you are the son of God. This battle goes on in every single one of us. Will you be selfish? Will you promote your personal issues above the group? Where if you do go to church, it's all about what do you get out of it? Or will you mature and become an adult and wake up on a Sunday morning and say to yourself, I've got to go to church because grace is there and I have grace and I want to share what God has given me with somebody. That's the battle. And we've talked about the pipeline, the way that grace flows, and we've established unequivocally that grace flows sideways. Interesting, Jesus didn't say, wherever you are alone by yourself, there I will be in the midst of you alone personally. He did not say that for a reason. He doesn't pet your satanic nature. He kills it. Your flesh has to be crucified. It needs to die. God sees no value in that. He wants it dead. Your selfishness, he wants it dead in the most brutal way imaginable. Bloody, miserable, painful. Your flesh needs to die. God himself will take the hammer and the spike and help you kill it. He's not there to pet it. 
and tell you stay as you are and come as you are. He wants it dead. So wherever two or more of you are gathered, there. Now that's what I'm interested, Jesus says. That's where you'll have a promise. You want to be close to me? You need to be in a group. That's the message Jesus gives. I'll be with the group. If you want to find me someday, I know I'm leaving. I'm ascending into heaven. I've been walking with you gentlemen for three and a half years and you're going to be looking for me to return and I'm going to return, but your heart's going to ache every day. You're going to wake up and think, I, I wish Jesus was still with me. I'm going to come back. But until that happens, I'll always be with you in the group. You can always find me in a room with other people. You get closer to me when you get closer to them. You get to hand me a cup of water when you hand them a cup of water. You get to put clothes on me in my nakedness when you put clothes on them. I'll be back. We'll be together again. You get to see me face to face. I know it's going to ache a little bit. You're going to miss me, but I want to tell you something. I'll be in the group. You'll find me in the corporate gathering. That's where I am. A terrible diabolical distortion feeding the narcissism of our culture, sadly, has come from American pulpits, overemphasizing in a, in, a, in a wrong way your personal salvation and your personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus told you he loves you personally and he pays so much attention to you as an individual that he has counted your hair. I love my wife, but it never occurred to me to count her hair. She has pointed out to me that some of mine is falling out. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who was this woman, she had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now that sounds simple to ask that question and people flippantly answer it but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says or should they bow down to the threat of consequences? Because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. 
And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. Steps to Political Epiphany dot com. That's Steps to Political Epiphany dot com. Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. A terrible diabolical distortion feeding the narcissism of our culture, sadly, has come from American pulpits, overemphasizing in a, in a, in a wrong way your personal salvation and your personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus told you he loves you personally and he pays so much attention to you as an individual that he has counted your hair. I love my wife, but it never occurred to me to count her hair. She has pointed out to me that some of mine is falling out. (laughs) He's concerned about you But he's also said that that selfish part of you that just thinks about your own needs, like the whole world is in orbit around them, your needs. He wants that part of you dead. He's willing to kill you. If you don't do that and you cling to it, you cling to that, he can't be around it. If you stay unified with that that Luciferian me, I, 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 the day will come When by your own decision to refuse to kill it yourself, he will pick you up and drop you in the lake of fire where you belong with your father, the devil. God is serious about selfishness. He hates it. So he said, guys, I love you. You love me. I'm going to have to leave. I'm coming back. But until that day that you get to see me and we get to be together again, just like we've been when I'm here on earth, you'll find me in the group. Extra ecclesium nulla salus. We are saved by grace through faith, but you can't find grace if you don't find a Christian that has it. Here's the pipeline. Them that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've called upon the name of the Lord, put your hand up. You've been saved because you called upon the name of the Lord. Let me show you how you did that. You may put your hands down. They that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call upon whom they have not believed? And how can they believe, you, you people that raised your hand, how could you have believed had you not heard? And how could you have ever heard had there not been a preacher And how could there have ever been a preacher if he had not been sent? That's how you met Jesus, was because of a man called a preacher who was sent. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down, first order of business. He sent apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, 
and teachers, establishing the church, giving them the pipeline of grace. The only reason any person has ever come to Jesus Christ is because they found him in a group. Somebody prayed, somebody witnessed, somebody gave their testimony, and the only reason they knew to give their testimony and to witness and to tell you the things that they said or to pray the way that they prayed is because they were exposed at some point through the pipeline of grace to a man called a preacher that God sent. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Grace comes to human beings today the same way that it came in the Old Testament. Did you know that the only way to get to heaven before Jesus came to earth was you had to be saved by grace through faith? It was the spirit of the law. Jesus Christ always was and always will be the spirit of the law. When Moses said, don't steal, don't kill, he was showing people how to love. Love doesn't kill. Love doesn't steal. The Apostle Paul saying the exact same thing in a different way. 1 Corinthians 13 said, love is kind. Love is patient. And I talked about this yesterday. I spoke at an event in Des Moines. Sometimes my wife and I will say the same thing to one of our children who's being corrected in a different way. She will say, and this is in, in grammar, this is called a positive statement. Remove yourself from the idea of positive is good and negative is bad because it's not true. If you don't have positive and negative in electricity, you don't have any power. So let's not think of it in terms of good and bad. Let's think of it in terms of the way you say the same thing. So Molly looks at Jonas and says, go ahead now and go to your room. That's a positive statement grammatically. You do, do go to your room. I'm looking at the same thing that he's doing. The reason she said, you go to your room. That's a positive statement. Do this. Go do this. I might look at him and say, stop pinching your sister. And Molly looks at this, because he's pinching her, go to your room. I said the negative command, stop pinching your sister. She said the positive command, go to your room. The roles can be reversed. There are other times when she beats me to the punch. She says, stop pinching your sister. And I say, get out of my sight. <laughs> so we switch. We're both saying the same thing, but we are addressing it from the negative form of communication and the other from the positive. Now, let me say this to you. Moses used positive communication and negative. You're most familiar with him saying, do not steal, do not kill. But he also said in the first command, the premise of the first table, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Moses said that, so did Jesus. So Moses communicated the same truth about how to walk out love. 
And he used the negative way and the positive. Jesus did too. Jesus said, do not do these things. He said to the woman that had been forgiven and healed, he said, go and don't sin anymore. That was a negative, but he was saying the very same thing that he said in other times when he said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So both are saying the same thing. When I read Deuteronomy and I read the 10 commandments, there is fundamentally no difference between what is said there and what is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, speaking of love. They're saying the same thing. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Love doesn't steal. It doesn't covet. It doesn't envy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is, love is concerned about others. It doesn't take a thought of suffered wrong. So God's not schizophrenic. He, he's not contradicting. There's no, there's no pitting against. And so Paul tells us in the book of Romans and repeatedly that no one has ever gone to heaven in the history of the world that did not have faith in the act of redemption of a coming anointed one. So in the Old Testament, the way you got to heaven was by having faith and receiving grace through the priesthood. Grace flowed sideways in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you in just a minute. They received grace. They're saved by grace through faith. And they had faith not in the animal bleeding, but in what the animal bleeding represented. By faith, someday, somehow, God himself would redeem all sinners. And they had faith in that. That faith transcended the physical bleeding of sheep and goats, knives cutting through the priesthood. And they looked forward in time and saw redemption through God. You and I are doing the exact same thing. They came together on the first day of the week. There's a seven-day cycle. It's been true since creation. Every seven days, you need to be repaired. You, you, you have biologically changed not a bit. You need to eat the same general intervals today that Hebrews had to eat with an appetite for food. They had to eat ever so often, and they had to drink water just like you do. Those appetites were fixed at the point of creation. They haven't changed. A Hebrew... Six, seven thousand years ago, a man with his wife, there was a sexual appetite. And it was necessary for the husband and the wife to be together sexually in intervals. They have an appetite. It must be fed. That was normal. The Apostle Paul addressed it 2,000 years ago. Turns out a Hebrew guy 2,000 years ago had the same needs as you do, guys, ladies. Nothing's changed. Your bodies were made the way they're made. Your appetites are established. They're established at creation. You, you have intervals of time. If you go too long, it damages you. 
If you go too long without water, you die. You go too long without food, you die. You go too long without sex. In the confines of the marriage institution, Paul says, temptation increases. You will eventually fall. You will stumble. You will sin against God in your marriage vows. So don't do that. He forbids it. You're not to defraud your wife or your husband from that appetite. The appetite is good. It was made by God. Feed it in regular intervals. Now, you can drink too much, can't you? You can get, be not drunk with wine, whereas there is an excess. That appetite can be abused. You can eat too much. You can be a pig. You can be a glutton. You can eat way too much, and, and you can actually kill yourself by eating so much, as opposed to killing yourself by not eating enough. You can destroy your liver by drinking too much, and that will kill you just as dead as if you quit drinking water and you die from dehydration. The appetites must be kept in balance. God gave an appetite for material wealth, for you to own things. You have a property instinct. It comes from the book of Genesis. He said, see all these beautiful things? There's the river. There's gold in it. See the sparkly jewels? He's pointing out the beautiful landscape. You can almost have the picture painted in your mind when you're reading the first couple chapters of Genesis. God says, I made it all for you. You can partake of everything that is good. And the, but when he commanded, see, he said, let light be, and he made that. But when he was talking to Adam and Eve, he said some things too. He said, you, and it was created of power. The same words that just made the sun spoke to Adam and said, have dominion and subdue it. And when God said it, power created an appetite to own property in Adam and Eve. Suddenly, distinct from cows and pigs who care nothing about jewels, Eve went, I need a diamond ring now. And Adam said, I'm going to own some property because God created it in them with his mouth. But that appetite had to be restrained. It had to be balanced. So God's showing that the instinct to own can turn into something ugly that destroys like greed, right? Nobody likes greedy people. So greed had to be stopped. It's a good appetite. God made it, but there has to be a limit on it or it becomes destructive. In the same way, you drink too much, you die. Don't drink enough, you die. Eat too much, you die. Don't eat enough, you die, right? The power of procreation connected to the appetite for sex. You know, you can go too far with that and it destroys. You can go too far the other extreme and it destroys. What if everybody in the world with magic dust, poof, you don't have a sex drive now. What happens? We go extinct. There's no babies. We die as a species. We're gone. Alien anthropologists a gazillion years from now say, creatures used to live here. I'm being facetious. <laughs> Same thing happens with the property instinct. What if we just have the property instinct unchecked, no limits, no rules? What happens? The world is destroyed with everybody running around like wild, foaming at the mouth, thieves, stealing. No respect for other people's property rights. There is a, everything does not belong to you. And so this is the message in the Garden of Eden. God says, I made it all for you to enjoy. You see that tree in the middle? Don't bother that. That's not yours. So human beings had get, been given an instinct to own stuff, but they had to be told you don't get to own all the stuff. And you overemphasize your individualism. And this is what you do. You go back to the ugliness. You go back to your envy. You go back to your covetousness. You go back to your desire to have other people's things. Listen to me. How dare anyone point their finger at a prosperous man and begrudge him of the things he earned? It is not right for you or anyone to wag their finger at some guy in town who has a nicer house and a nicer car and act ugly and selfish like the devil. 
He's no better than me. Are you sure about that? Are you really sure? Because I wonder what God would say about what you just said. I just wonder if one of these times God's not going to just step into the room with somebody and say, let me tell you something about him. He's more charitable than you've ever been. You're a stingy Scrooge. And I blessed him with that house because he earned it. And I didn't give you one because you don't deserve it. Maybe that's what God needs to say. Maybe that's what he is saying all through the Bible and we're not listening. So with the sexual appetite, Adam probably thought almost, I mean, at that point, there wouldn't have been any ugly women anywhere. I mean, everybody was perfect. The men looked great. The women looked great. I'm sure Adam thought, you know, I'd like to have sex with 10 million women because they're fantastic. What did God say? Jesus said it. From the beginning, it was not so. God made one man, one woman. They were in a covenant. So God says, you got the sex drive. It's powerful, but you don't get 50 women. You get one. Same to Eve. Eve, you have a desire. You have a desire, but it has to be reined in. It has to be kept in balance. Get out of balance, you destroy civilization. What happens? Well, the welfare state will kill us. Take your magic dust now, sprinkle it all over the population of the earth, destroy the desire to own property. Nobody cares about jewels anymore. Women, you look at a diamond, you treat it the same way as a cow. Don't care. You don't want things. Guys, you don't want to own any land. You don't care about your house anymore. You don't mow your grass. You, you have no desire. But all you got left is your sex drive, right? The women and the men, all they, all they have left is their sex drive, but no property drive. What happens? No restraint. The world turns into a crazy, out-of-control sexual orgy. And women are having babies so crazily. All Women are pregnant everywhere. The hospitals are turning them away. They're having babies out in the grass because they can't get, in the, can't get in the hospital. Babies are being born everywhere. And, and, and there's an explosion of population and lasciviousness and sex out of control for the last few months of life on earth before everyone on earth dies. Why? Because no one wanted to go work. And we ran out of food. I mean, who wants to go plant seeds and sweat out in a garden when you can have sex? So God gives these powerful things to man and says, these are powerful and they're they're good. But if you abuse it on one extreme or another, it will kill you. I want you to have good stuff. I mean, look at all the jewels. Look at the rivers. Look at the mountains. Look at the grass. Look at the fruit. It's all for you. I want you to enjoy it. But you got to learn something. That's not yours right there in the middle. Don't mess with that. That's not yours. And everything was fine when it was just Adam because there was no one else to share with. He owned everything. But as soon as there was a second person and a third and a 30th and a 100th, then you had to figure out how to divide up whose fruit is hanging from what tree and don't steal someone else's fruit. But anytime you overemphasize your independence and your selfish person, your individualism and your rights, and you don't have to obey anyone else, you don't have to listen to anyone else, you don't need to go to church like God said in the Bible. You deny the appetite, listen to me. You don't come back in because man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. And God has determined, just like with your biology, for water and for food and for sex, he has also programmed in the human body a need every seven days to come into a corporate place 
where Jesus said, when you're in the group, you'll find me. And when Jesus comes into the group, grace starts flowing sideways in the room. The same way you got saved by grace through faith, some man said something and and it did something to you. And you responded, you believed what you heard, you called on the name of the Lord, and you were transformed because power went down from heaven, sideways through some people, and went whoop inside you, and you were made a new person. And now to stay vibrant and powerful and clean and right, there's a seven-day cycle when you come into the church and that, that, that original beauty of your first moment when you became a new creature is refreshed, repaired, and restored if you keep your heart right. And you need that. If you go too long without it, you will fall into selfishness. Guaranteed it is the root of it. And you will be destroyed eventually grace flows sideways outside the church, there is no salvation. 